Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Now, I'm just going to warn you. I told, I told Brother Fry a while ago, I said, I handed him my, my notes for tonight. And I said, uh, I, I'm going to throw the book at him tonight. So I'm going to do a lot of reading. But uh, before we're through, this, this is going to be a nuts and bolts Wednesday night. Now, when you walk out to your car, you can't see them. But there's lots of nuts and bolts. And if you didn't have them, your car wouldn't go very far. It's what holds things together. It's the same in the church. we got to have some nuts and bolts to hold things together in the church. Everybody say amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest... Truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Look at your neighbor and ask him this question. What about harvest? You can be seated. The Lord is at his best in the midst of those that are in need and those that are hurting and those that need to be saved. He's ministering to them in the synagogue and incidentally he was speaking to those that are saved. Now, I, I, I want to, I'm going to ask for a little moment of transparency here right now is there anybody in the building that has a problem come on it's not a trick question don't worry huh? now I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something right here and I'm like pastor I'm not gonna spit to the fifth row tonight I'm gonna say something right here The time has come that we as the church must make up our mind whether or not we're going to be selfless or selfish. Now, I'm going to tell you how to take care of keeping your mind constantly on your problem. All right? Anybody want to know? I'm going to tell you how to do that. It's very simple. Minister to somebody else. But Bishop, you don't know what I'm going through. I know I don't. Maybe I don't. But I want you to know something that if you'll begin to minister to other people, God will not only take care of them, but He'll take care of you. (laughs) 
Our text apparently takes place almost immediately after the choosing of the twelve. And certainly according to Luke's account, which we'll see later immediately prior to the sending forth of the seventy. If you can simply get the picture tonight, Jesus has brand new, say this with me, recruits. Brand new recruits. And he is trying to instill in them the purpose of their calling. He began by example. The Bible said, going about all the cities and villages, teaching, everybody say teaching, and preaching, and healing every sickness and every disease. And as he was in the process of discipling his new disciples, something happened. Verse 36 said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He was suddenly overcome with compassion and he stopped teaching immediately and issues a prayer request. Watch what happens. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, what I see in this is an expression of extreme concern. Men, if you've ever prayed about anything, pray so that there will be enough workers to get the job done. He's just starting a new work. But he understands that the work is about to become so overwhelming. If somebody doesn't get a hold of God and get a burden for the lost and get compassion in their soul for somebody that needs the touch of God. There is a desperation Behind the request. And as it is, Luke's parallel passage in Luke chapter 10. I told you I'm going to read a lot, but just stay with me. Luke chooses, or chose rather, to record the Lord uttered immediately the words after his prayer request, which helped to convince me how desperate Jesus must have been feeling at that particular moment. Luke 10 and 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before His face 
into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the labor is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, Jesus was saying, everybody listen to me, I I want young and old to hear me tonight. Jesus was saying, don't think about anything else. Don't get distracted by anything. Just get out there and go to reaping the harvest. Another example of desperation. We see the same kind of attitude found in a parable that Jesus said sometime later. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning, to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever's right I'll give you. And they went their way. Again, he went about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question. What would drive a man to go out every hour and try to find workers? Why would he keep looking for laborers unless he was absolutely desperate to get the job done? Why was he so desperate? For some insight, I want you to consider with me Again, the title Jesus used to describe God in that moment of desperation. He called him the Lord of the harvest. No one understands the importance of the harvest like the Lord of the harvest. 
No one understands like the Lord of the harvest the fact that there is, listen to me here, this is where we are as a 21st century church. No one understands like the Lord of the harvest that there is only one opportunity to reap a harvest when it ripens. If the job is not accomplished while the harvest is ripe, what does not get harvested will soon spoil and be of no value whatsoever. This is what the Old Testament prophet seen and said in Amos chapter 8 and verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end. Everybody say the end. The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. The last harvest. I think we're in the last harvest. Is there anybody here that's with me right now? Is there anybody think that is there anybody here that thinks that we're going to make it through another generation before the rapture? The last harvest. This is what this is what some of the commentators said about that. Schofield said soon to perish. Matthew Henry's commentary says this the approach of the threatened ruin is represented by a basket of summer fruit gathered and ready to be eaten, which signified that they were ripe for destruction. They lay ready to be eaten up. That the year of God's patience was drawing toward a conclusion. It was autumn with them. Those we call summer fruits will not keep till winter must be used immediately. An emblem of this people that had nothing consistent in them. Unquote. The summer harvest was the last harvest of the year. That which had hung on the vine until summer harvest was ripe at best. Most of it was soon to perish. I rise on this Wednesday night midweek to tell this church there's a harvest that's ready in Anderson, Indiana, but if we don't get to it soon, it could be too late. Oh, I need somebody to feel a little compassion about that. I said you're going to pass souls in the morning when you go to the grocery store, to the Walmart, on your job. I said their summer fruit, they're just about to waste away. And if somehow we don't get to them, if somehow we can't find somebody that'll get a burden for the harvest, they may be lost for eternity. Summer harvest. Have you ever noticed you probably haven't because you don't see them around here. My wife and I have been on several occasions in the citrus growing areas. And uh, 
when you drive by those huge groves, I mean hundreds and hundreds of either grapefruit or lemon or oranges or whatever, where they've harvested them, lying on the ground are just oranges and grapefruits laying everywhere. And I think to myself, you know what? They, they must not like citrus like I like citrus. Man, there's nothing like going to an orange tree and reaching up and pulling off a fresh orange and eating it, just peeling it and eating it right off the tree. Nothing like it. But, I, but as I begin to think about that, I begin to understand. I, I, I begin to realize and understand I can't imagine allowing something so precious just to lay on the ground and rot. And bigger than that tonight, I can't, I can't imagine knowing that I've got sons and daughters and grandchildren and neighbors and friends and loved ones that are lost without God. And if somehow we don't begin to harvest them, they're going to rot in hell. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and 10 said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our first commission. Wave your hand if you got the Holy Ghost tonight. Our first commission upon receiving the Holy Ghost is to win the lost. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 said, For ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to understand something. His ultimate goal was to save us so that we would be soul winners. Let me say it again. He didn't save you for yourself. He saved you for somebody else. He saved you so that you would win souls. I, uh, I, I was thinking up here, knowing what I was going to teach about tonight, I, I was thinking about, I, I watched this altar tonight lying with young people and children, but you know, sometimes I think as, as a church, especially like this church, we're so sheltered and, and uh, insulated that we, we just think that's the way it is everywhere. But, 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 but I, I go places where the pews are just filled and nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand me. Where the pews are just filled with elders. There are no children. There are no, there are no new souls. And I, I, have to, I have to tell you that I get 
distressed when I think about the future of that church when there are there is no harvest. Uh, listen, I know it's easy in an atmosphere like this to just say, we'll be all right. We'll get through this. We'll, we'll just rock along here. This church is going to be okay. But hear me right now. The Lord is stirring something up in me tonight. I want you to realize that it is the will of God for you to be every person in this building tonight. I don't care how young or how old you are. It is the will of God. In fact, it is an indictment upon the church. If we are not, it is the will of God for every one of us that have been filled with His Spirit to be soul winners. I'm going to... I'm going to share a little principle with you here. Just stay with me. We need real reproduction in the church. What do you mean, Bishop? Listen, I'm going to talk to you about a little something right here. It's a little principle. It's something that I live by all of my ministry, and, and I think you'll understand, but it's called God-oriented evangelism. Here it is. It's called, this is not my material, somebody, something else, but I want you to listen to it. It's called the big idea. You ready? We must have an ultimate goal. Absolutely. Come on, just step right down there. All right, I need some ladies right now full of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. The Lord's going to lift it. Don't receive it. Don't accept the lie from the devil. Come on, church. Come on, this is apostolic. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I take authority and dominion over every every spirit of darkness I take authority and dominion over every demonic spirit I command it to leave her Come on, church, praise him. Hallelujah. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. You can't let the fruit spoil. Come on. It's harvest time. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. Keep praising God. Drive every devil of hell out of here. There's no place for him here. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. That's 
that's the kind of stuff that Jesus said, wait a minute. All the teaching and preaching I could do won't do what we're about to see happen when we understand how important the harvest is. Praise God. Come on, that's it, that's it. Come on, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to connect with somebody close to you right now. We're going to pray right now that the spirit of compassion for those that are in need would begin to grip our hearts like never before. Come on, in the name of Jesus. God's going to send them, but we got to go find them too. I said God's going to send them, but we got to go find them too. Come on, we got to get a compassion in our spirit for those that are hurting, that are in need, that need to be saved that are lost without God. God, let it take hold of us. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we praise you. You know, the disciples hated it. That's maybe a strong word, but they, 
They got so frustrated when Jesus was on his way to do one thing. And on his way to do one thing, he got disrupted to do another thing. Come on, that's what the kingdom of God's all about. We, we, we got we to gotta get rid of our little routines and programs and ideas. Come on, somebody, we just got to let God do what God does. Praise God. Somebody shout, it's harvest time. All right, you can be seated. You can be seated. You can be seated. I, I, I'm going to get a couple of these things. That, they're fine. We're going to let them pray. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely right here. The big idea, the big idea. We must have an ultimate goal, both for our church and for every individual that we reach. You ready? This goal can only be reached through a series of more immediate goals. The objective of each immediate goal is to enable the church body to achieve the next goal which should finally result in accomplishing our ultimate goal. Here they are, five levels. Just stay with me right here. Five levels of goals that we intend to reach. First, number one, everybody say number one. Goal level number one is to secure a visit. Secure a visit. What's that mean? We must get people acquainted with the power of Pentecost. You can't, you can't just tell them about it. you got to get them here. Come on. I, how many of you remember the first time you went to a Pentecostal church? You thought folks were crazy. You thought, what in the world am I doing here? But I want to tell you that when you get somebody associated with Pentecostal power... It creates something in them that nothing else will satisfy. It creates a hunger in them like nothing else. Brother Joe, a golf course won't do it. Round of golf won't do it. But if I can just make it back to the house of God, I'm going to get what I need from the Lord. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about secure a visit. Do whatever you need to do to get folks to come to the house of the Lord. I, I was with a little couple this past weekend. They said, they said this couple had driven an hour and a half to be in church with them on Pentecost Sunday. And I heard his wife ask him, are we going to take them to lunch? He said, we're absolutely taking them to lunch. They drove an hour and a half over here to be in church with us. We're not going to let them go home hungry. Well, now, wait a minute, preacher. You're talking about something costing me something. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we need to do everything we can to get folks into the presence of the Lord and let them feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost because it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Come on, help me right here. So the first goal is to secure a visit. The second goal, level two, is to secure a Bible study. Listen, 
Statistically, the vast majority of new converts who stay in the church are those who were won through home Bible studies. That little lady I told you about a while ago, the pastor's daughter works at the school where that little lady worked, same Christian school. And six months, she's been teaching that lady a Bible study. She knew the Word of God. She was a smart lady. But six months, but you know what? In the presence of the Lord on Pentecost Sunday, where the power of God was prevalent, something got a hold of her heart and the light clicked on. She said, this is it. This is what I need. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to tell you, you got to get them to the church. And once you get them to the church, you got to get the word of God in them. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some effort. But it's harvest time. We've got to go get the harvest before it spoils. The third step. The third step is to secure their salvation. We're not after numbers. Pastor says it very crudely, but true, we're not here for butts in seats. It's it's not about numbers. We're concerned about seeing the lost saved. That's why we're here. We're not here just to pray for you because you're sick. We're not here just to pray for you because you're going through a trial, through a test. We're not here for you to get the Holy Ghost goosebumps every time you come to church. We're here because souls need to be saved, and this is the place where they get saved. Everybody okay? So, we must see every contact as a potential recipient of Acts 2.38. Inasmuch as the promise is to all that are far off. And then goal level number four is to establish them as saints. You ready? We cannot be content to merely... Get them saved, but we must keep them saved. We may not keep everyone we get, but we should not lose everyone we get. Number five, to establish them as soul winners. Ready? We, we, you know, there's an old saying, it got worn out for a while, but it's still true. Each one reach one do you understand the potential right here in this building tonight if every one of us go through these five steps and win one soul this year we ought to win more than that but if we just set a goal to win one soul this year do you know by this time next year this church would be double now listen to me I, I know I'm making some folks nervous because some folk don't like it when something's required of them. But watch this. We cannot stop until they've gone from getting saved to helping save others. If the Spirit of Christ is in us, we will be driven by the same motivation 
that motivated him to win souls so they would be soul winners. The ultimate design of God in maturity is to reproduce. Now I want you to listen to me right here. This blew my mind. I'd never seen this before, but I want you to listen to this right here because you, you, you're talking about some tough stuff. I, I want you to listen to what, what the Word of God says. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, down toward the end of the chapter, it talks about Eve and how Eve was the one that sinned because she took the fruit. Then verse 15, look what verse 15 says. Listen to it right here. Notwithstanding, she, the wife, shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So, despite what society is trying to promote right now, the woman's purpose, identity, and position is saved. She was made to complement and reproduce her husband. You ready? This is, this, this, I never thought about this. The Bible said the church is the Christ's bride. We will be saved in childbearing. I'm not out of the book. Deuteronomy 23 and 1 teaches that a man who could not reproduce was not even allowed in the congregation of the Lord. And as we raise our children, we should do so with a view that we're teaching them to be good parents. We reproduce so that they can reproduce. That's why grandchildren are so great. Ah, you see, I, I tried to lighten it up a little bit. A God-given responsibility has been accomplished when parents reproduced parents who reproduced. So, here it is. I, I'm going to try to hurry. I, Matthew 28, 19, we all know it. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 said, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little story here and we're going to move on. Dr. Jack Hiles, he was the pastor of the first Baptist church in Hammond, Indiana from 1959 to 2001. I know they don't believe like we believe, but listen to me right here. The church has a membership of well over 100,000 and averages 8,000 baptisms a year. <laughs> Did you hear that? For many years, the church was acclaimed to have the world's largest Sunday school. 
And this is what he taught about the Great Commission. There's several, and I quote, there are several verbs in this verse. The first one is go. We are to go. That means to go where they are. It says to go where they are. It doesn't mean to put up a shingle in your office and say, if anybody wants to get saved, inquire within. It means you are to look them up, track them down. You are to go where they are. The second verb is teach. Mark says preach. Actually, it means to win them. Go out and tell them how to be saved. The first thing you do is to go and then get them saved. The next verb is baptize. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now watch this. Four basic verbs. Go, preach, or teach to get them saved. Three, baptize. And four, teach them again. Teach them again. You teach them something after you get them saved and baptized. We're missing this in the apostolic church. You've heard me say this before, but we've got this misconception of what the church is supposed to do. We have three elements. We have the world, we have the church, and we have Jesus. And we feel like if we can get the world into the church that we've done everything that we're supposed to do. But that's not so. Your role in the kingdom of God because you've been filled with the Holy Ghost is to get them from the altar after they've been saved, get them to Jesus and teach them until they get a relationship with Jesus in such a way that they can go tell somebody else about Jesus. What about harvest? Everybody all right? Everybody still hear me? Listen. What do you teach them? To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It didn't say teach whatsoever I've written you. But teach them whatsoever I have commanded you. Now what did he command? us to do go preach baptize then teach them what he commanded us to do so we teach them to go and preach and baptize that they may teach their converts to go and preach and baptize that they may teach their converts to go and preach and baptize. Now, if, if I understand the Great Commission properly, the first thing that you teach somebody is to win Christ, is how to win somebody else to Christ. Man, that is just messing us up right now. I thought I was just here to be saved, Bishop. Listen to me. Here's what I think the Great Commission basically teaches. I come to this brother right here, Brother LG. And uh, 
First I go to your house. I go to where you work. And then I tell you how to get converted. And then I get you baptized. Then I must teach you how to go and get the next man converted. And get him baptized. That he may teach another how to go. And to get still another converted and be baptized. That he may go. And you don't quit there. You teach him how to get this man converted and baptize him. And it's a long circle when you get somebody converted. We have the idea that the Great Commission is wrapped up in going, preaching, and baptizing. That's all it says. But it's not true. It says you teach them how to go. You teach them how to get folks saved. You teach them how to get folks baptized. Brother Jordan, I I got a great suggestion on how to build this youth group. It's better than pickleball. Even though that's fun. Is you teach those young people how to get somebody saved and how to teach somebody how to be saved. That youth group will explode. Come on, somebody. I, I, I'm going to tell you something tonight. I, I know, I, I realize and understand that, 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 that this, is, this is kind of tough for us. Because, again, we, we've just kind of settled into the place in the church and feel like that this is our church and we're feeling good and we're doing good and, and everything's cool and we're all right. And all the time, the harvest is spoiling. It's on the verge of going bad. And the Lord's putting it out in front of us and saying, it's ready. I just need some workers. I just need some laborers. And this is, this is what the old prophet said. He said, put ye in the sickle. Harvest comes in seasons. Genesis 8 and 22 said, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It's not always time for harvest. But I can tell you in the Holy Ghost, for FPC, it's time for harvest. Well, that was about four of you. I said it's time for harvest. We shouldn't be discouraged during times when it doesn't feel like the church is growing. It doesn't feel like the church is reproducing. But when harvest time comes, it's why the Bible said, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we must understand in due season, when it's time to reap. Everybody say it's time. Listen, you can't, you, could, you can't have sat through the last six months in this church and think that we're not ready for a harvest. Not unless you're just totally unplugged. I'm telling you, we're as ready as we have ever been in the history of this church. The Lord just sent me here 
on this Wednesday night to say, what about harvest? Well, I got this going on. What about harvest? I got that going on. What about harvest? I got this problem. What about harvest? I've got this situation. What about harvest? If you get in the harvest, you won't be worried about whether or not things are going to turn out the way you want them to turn out. Let me hurry. Galatians, I'm sorry, Galatians tells us in due season. So many have grown weary. We relax when the harvest seems evident. Any good farmer realizes That harvest time is not a time to rest. Brother Jake, when those crops come in, you just set your lawn chair out there in the barn. Say, boy, I sure do wish that would get in here. I got a feeling Grandpa probably wouldn't like that. Harvest time is not time to be idle. Harvest time is time to thrust in the sickle. Harvest time is not the time to quit praying. Let down our guard. It's time to work and pray like never before. I want you to notice a few examples that Jesus gave us. Matthew 9 and 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Tell me if this is not where we are right now. The multitudes were scattered. They fainted, yet they had no shepherd. No laborers were ready when the harvest was plenteous. I want you to, I want you to look at somebody eye to eye right now. And tell them, you have to be a soul winner. <laughs> well, you know, Bishop, it'll come sometime. Listen to what Jesus said. John 4 and 35. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white. All ready for harvest. The disciples had just come back from Samaria. Failed to see. The imminent harvest. The harvest was ready, but the labors were few. And finally, 
John 4 and 36. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And ye are entered into their labors. Jesus continued his lecture and he simply said, I sent you to reap, reprimanding them because they bestowed no labor. Ladies and gentlemen, harvest time has come. First Pentecostal Church, harvest time has come. I'm convinced that we are in the season of harvest right now. Right now. It is our job, not just the pulpit, it is our job to get in tune with what the Spirit is trying to do. So that we can reap the harvest. Joel wrote. Chapter 3. Verse 13. You can stand. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come. Get you down. For the press is full. The fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I can tell you tonight. I don't even have to survey this crowd. I can tell you tonight that every one of you knows somebody that's lost. You know more than one somebody that's lost. Multitudes stand in the valley of decision. Which decision will they make? I'm going to do something right here. I want to tell you that all of that depends upon the effectiveness of the laborers. Now I'm going to tell you that The Lord is saying tonight to this congregation, it's time for us to do our job. On this Wednesday night, I know normally we just shoot out of here, but on this Wednesday night, I want us to come tonight and I want us to lift our hands to the Lord all over this congregation. Fill this altar and say, God, I want you to... I want you to touch every man, woman, and child in this building tonight that's full of the Holy Ghost. I'm praying for the laborers of the harvest. Come on, I'm praying, God, that before we walk out of this building tonight, that there would be a burden that would take hold of every heart. 
Help us to know and understand that it's time for us to become selfless in the church. God, there are souls that are waiting on us to be saved. They're waiting on us to reach them before it's too late. What about harvest tonight, God? What about harvest? God, I pray for the labors of the harvest. Give us workers, God, in the fields. Help us go get it, God, before it spoils, before it's too late, before they're lost. Without you, God, give us a fresh burden of compassion for the hurting, for the lost. Help us to reach them before it's too late. Just a thrust in. That's it, church. I feel the Holy Ghost moving in here right now. Come on, help us to thrust in the sickle tonight, God. Oh, God, help us to go after the harvest. Souls are dying. Men are crying. Help us to lead them to the cross.